I'm gonna take a little walk. Is it the boogeyman? I'm scared. There's nothing to be scared of. Are you sure? How? Killed him. You can't kill the boogeyman. Yo, welcome back, friends, to another very special, amazing episode of In Madness Pod. It's Sean the Butcher here with Vertebrae 33. What's going on? What's going on, Sean? How are you? I'm How's very everything? good. It's very good. This is episode 19, part two. And trick or treat, happy Halloween. Surprise. We have given you the best treat and trick that we can give you. Uh, a surprise bonus episode, part two. Of Halloween, since we left you on a cliffhanger, which would have been yesterday, depending on when you're listening to this, we usually put out episodes every single week, but we said for Halloween, what better way to drop part one the day before on Devil's Night and part two on Halloween. So uh, you're probably not going to get a new one next Monday. You could suck it. We'll be back two weeks after that. Oh, that's, I was going to say, oh, we've been working hard and we're going to take we the have. week off. It's but been you, so, no, Sean it's came been, in aggressive on it. but No, it's been so, there's so much going on to for us to do this episode in between Comic-Con, in between life, in between everything happening uh, and we and us wanting to highlight this movie with the degree of love that we have for it properly. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we had to drop it back to back. Um, you know, it, it's just more time for you to take in this episode and past episodes. Hit us up on the socials at in madness pod on everything, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, threads, uh, Gmail, in madness pod at gmail.com. You could send us some mail. We'll read your email on the show. We have the YouTube page. Make sure you subscribe, make sure you like, make sure you comment on everything. Uh, this community we have, this in madness family we got. It is very cool that people are listening and playing along. People were guests people did not guess halloween after all the hints we gave what? people were still throwing movies at me that no were halloween imagine their surprise when they tune in and they're like oh my god they finally took the leap and they popped the halloween cherry yeah you know prepping for this i was like i'm still not ready to talk about the thing oh my I god realized. please yeah i realized that that's probably a three parter what do you think of the first part of our uh Halloween coverage. I think it was good. I think in the point five when we when we resume after our Halloween vacation break for one week, um, I I'll get into the book that they talked about in Laurie's class and and we can go into that. If anyone has anything in the meanwhile that they want us to talk about from this movie that we can get to, you can email it to us, right? And we can look at the email. We'll go into our mailbag and get the. <laughs> i'll have to change my little thing i made mail sack it's pretty funny yeah uh, that's fine it's and uh and we could talk about it then because i would i think we could continually talk about this movie i would love in future episodes to try to get people on that know a lot more about it than we do and talk to them about it um i also think this is a movie when we have guests on in the future, we should just ask them, Hey, what's your experience with the movie Halloween? Like going forward for the podcast, tell us about that experience. And we'll do a little five minutes on that because I think uh, everyone has one, but uh, should we jump right back in? Let's do it. When we last left you, Michael Myers was outside Annie's house. Uh, She's babysitting the dog. Lester was there, came outside, got himself got by Michael Myers either strangled, broken neck, whatever your crazy imagination can think of. 
No animals make it alive from id madness pod. Now we cut to Laurie Strode, little Tommy Doyle's house. They're watching horror movies, but not any horror movie. They're mm. watching the original The Thing. Right. So The Thing from Another World, 1951. Um, Carpenter goes on to famously r- remake that movie. Um, uh, and his version, and we'll get to it when we get to the thing, more closely follows the novella it was based on by called Who Goes There by John W. Campbell. But we get the thing from another world here. Laurie and Tommy are watching it on TV. He asks about the jack-o'-lantern. Laurie's like, after the movie. He's like, what about my comic books? She's like, after the jack-o'-lantern. What about the boogeyman? There's no such thing. <laughs> Richie said he was coming after me tonight. Do you believe everything Richie tells you? He gets upset. She's like, calm down. It's Halloween night. People like to play tricks on each other. It's all make-believe. I think Richie was just trying to, you know, scare you. But Tommy's not having it. He saw the boogeyman a second ago, standing outside, but Lori doesn't believe him. What do you look like? The boogeyman. She tells Tommy he has nothing to worry about. If he only comes out on Halloween, she's there to protect him. Nothing's going to happen to him. He makes a promise. They ditch the movie, and they go carve the jack-o'-lantern. Pretty much half naked, Annie is taking her butter-soaked clothes out to the family. She's babysitting washer, dryer, which is outside in some little shed they got. She opens the door, walks in, leaves the door open, walks away from it to grab detergent. The wind slams the door frame, but it doesn't close. It startles her. She looks out the door, but then goes back to looking for detergent, and boom, there he is. You get that classic Carpenter Halloween shriek. You jump. And as the door is slowly blowing back open from the wind, there he is, the shape, Michael, standing right on the other side of the door. Still has a shade over it. Still not a real clear shot of him, but you could see mm. the white mask, the face. It's getting clearer and clearer as the movie goes on. And he gives the classic white girl horror. Hello? Who's there? <laughs> she runs over to the door, rips it open and says, Paul, is this one of your cheap tricks? There's no one there. <laughs> disappointed she's not getting laid she puts some clothes in the wash but this time on its own maybe the door slams shut and of course now annie is locked inside the laundry shed once again screaming for Lindsay, who is completely ignoring her and she dumps a boatload of, <laughs> of detergent in there for just one outfit like if you go back and watch it it's it's that big like costco size tide box and I can't, this is so much he dumps in there for just like, you know, pants and a shirt. Fucking things are going to be overflowing with soap. <laughs> the phone begins ringing right next to Lindsay and still she is locked into this movie, ignoring the phone as well. Then in this horrifying next shot, we see Annie locked in the shed, pounding on the locked door, yelling for Lindsay behind her in another window. There he is. You can mm-hmm. see Michael, the shape behind her, still covered, still hard to see but visibly creepy and you could see him just enough to tilt his head for that classic Michael Myers pose. Legendary. And he has no ideas there, but then she turns around and heads right for the window. Michael was just standing at and begins ripping it open to crawl out back inside the house. Lindsay finally picks up the phone. It's Paul. He asks for Annie. Lindsay runs to get Annie, but I also noticed she hangs up the phone on Paul. Yeah. She's like, yeah, I'll get her. And just clicks up the phone. Bye. She runs out to the laundry shed, yells for Annie, who yells back, sounding like she's in pain. I'm like, oh, my God. Is she going to find her stabbed? Is something crazy going to happen? Lindsay unlocks the door. 
finds Annie stupid ass stuck in between the detergent rack and the window. <laughs> Lindsay helps her out the mess she's in. Annie makes her promise never to tell anyone about this. The phone rings. The girls run back in. Lindsay picks up the phone and says she got stuck in the window. She's right here. Right away. Little smart ass. Hands Annie the phone. Paul's immediately making fun of her. She grabs the phone, walks to the right. The camera moves with her. She walks to the left. And boom, we get hit with the shriek. And God damn it, there he is again. Michael standing there. Almost clear as day, but still not crystal clear. But that mask, mm. the pale white mask, the light is shining off the mask, but the rest of the body is pitch black. He's standing there stalking Annie. Paul's on the phone telling her his, uh, his parents left. He could sneak out and they can bang. She quickly turns around and in an instant again, like Batman, Michael is gone. Paul wants Annie to pick him up so they can bang. But Annie tells Lindsay they're going to go pick up Paul. But Lindsay wants no part of it. She wants to sit in the dark and be scared watching the thing, watching horror movies, Dr. Dementia. And he tells her uh, she can go to Tommy Doyle's house and watch the movie there so that she can pick up ball so they can bang. Lindsay seems okay with this scenario, so they run across the street. You think they're safe. You think they're in the clear. They get across the street, walk past the car, and right behind them within inches rises Michael, the shape, the silhouette, haunting them like a ghost. <laughs> the same second Michael rises, you get hit with the carpenter Halloween shriek again. He's just standing there, breathing heavily. Annie drops Lindsay off with Tommy and Lori. Lori makes fun of Annie for not having any clothes on. She tells her about the butter incident. Lori begs her to please talk to Ben Tramer and take back what you said. She makes a deal, but only if Lori watches the kids so she could pick up Paul so they could bang. She'll consider talking to Ben Tramer. So Lori agrees. I don't think Ben will be available for the dance anyway. No, he will not. <laughs> And he says she'll be back in an hour or so. They say goodbye. This will be the last time they ever speak to each other. And he goes whistling back to the house, singing to herself about banging Paul. She goes to open the car door, locked. No keys. She goes back to the house, grabs the keys, checks her hair, heads back to the car, goes to open the door. Unlocked. Uh-oh. She gets in, closes the door, immediately notices the car is fogged up. Like someone mm. sitting in there breathing to themselves. And boom, the tone of doom. Bwah, up from the back seat pops Michael, shrouded in darkness, grabbing Annie by the throat. We see from outside the car looking in, the window's foggy, but we can see them both, Annie in the driver's seat choking. And still unclear, but we see it. A good shot of it, the mask, the classic white Shatner mask, staring and, at Annie. And Michael, like these, like the... Everyone will talk about Michael and the knife. You buy the toy and the knife comes with it. But like he chokes a few people and a dog. And and those are very like personal mur murders. Like he could have done that in a different way. This is like he's really working something out right now in this anger that he has in an awful way. But he it's. Yeah, it's it's very personal when you're choking somebody like that, as opposed to the knife. And I, it's funny because that's all we talk about with him is the knife. And every picture he has it, he probably has it in his hand on the shirt you're wearing, maybe. But does he have it? Uh, it's. I think it's. Oh, there he is. There it is. Yeah. See. Is that it? Yeah. yeah. It's, <laughs> so it's just always there, but it's just interesting that that's it. Does kind of doesn't shake out like that in this film, at least. We cut inside the car. Mike's choking her, breathing very very heavily. 
She's panting, choking, slamming the car horn, flailing around. Then we see him shift. He moves as if he's going to grab something with his other hand. Cuts back to outside the car, and he swipes his hand across her neck. Mm -hmm. And then another classic carpenter shriek says it all. He sliced her neck. Her eyes right. cross. She sinks into the driver's seat, leans on the horn. She's dead. Rest in peace. I mean, he hand. uses the knife there, but it starts out with the, the choking and the other choking. But yeah, that's... uh. All right, when the, when we did the Batman episode, they have the fogged up car scene that With comes Riddler. directly to this. Yep. Tommy and his little girlfriend, Lindsay, are watching the thing. Tommy gets the brilliant idea. He's going to scare the shit out of her. He sneaks off to the couch, sneaks off the couch behind a window shade, starts creepily calling Lindsay's name. She gets up to look for him. Tommy turns around, looks out the window and sees Michael carrying Annie's dead body into the house. Because Michael is about to stage stuff and he's a very busy dude. And he's got he's got to get all his props ready for his his show. I love that Tommy saw this though, because mm -hmm. it is fucked up. Yeah, yeah. Creep the hell out. He backs into Lindsay and starts screaming bloody murder. The boogeyman is outside. Laurie's yelling at him. There's nobody out there. He's scaring Lindsay. If you don't stop, I'm gonna turn off the movie. Tommy's like, no one believes me. And Lindsay's like, I believe you. Laurie's the enemy now. She's the bad guy. Mm -hmm. he just saw laurie's friend get carried into the house and laurie has no idea that her friend is dead how crazy is that cut back to michael's beat up ass house there's loomis lurking in the bushes like michael like a creep here come the three jagoffs who were bothering tommy lonnie lamb and his friends they're teasing each other to go into michael's house it's lonnie the head jagoff he's not afraid to go in chicken <laughs> Loomis is watching it all, fearing that this kid's life is going to end any second if Michael pops up. But also, it's Halloween, and everyone's entitled to one good scare. Yeah. So a little playfully, Loomis covers his mouth, and in a creepy voice goes, Hey, Lonnie, get your ass away from there. <laughs> the kids take off running scared shitless, and in perhaps the sweetest .3 seconds of a moment that could happen in this movie. Loomis adorably smiles to himself at his job well done. Yeah. His and trick or treat. His trick or treat moment and his awful plan. Yeah. You just have this old man wait outside the house, his little gun. And if this guy that I think just ate a dog and killed his sister and wants to, you know, go crazy on the town, but I, but I got it. You know, I got this. You, you get a sense, though, that he. He's very frustrated by his inability to get to Michael, his inability to solve that problem. If you go into that business and you want to help people and get through things, you know, it's nice to make some progress. He put a lot of work into this kid. He made no progress. He's catatonic. He's not responding. And all he sees is this pure evil. And I feel like it's just he realizes this in a lot of ways it's his life's work but i think it's his own personal frustrations like i gotta get this done right it, he should have called in for some help maybe some people would have lived um but, but nobody believes him nobody believes loomis but i mean the sheriff believes him enough to let him or is he just humoring him like, yeah stay by the house he's gonna he's about you're about to find out yeah tired of crawling around these bushes his, his happiness doesn't last for more than a microsecond no. immediately comes the sheriff scares the crap out of him again the sheriff has a habit for scaring the crap out of people mm. 
for a second, we think it's Michael because only a hand grabs his shoulder. But it's the sheriff. He's like, ah, kids are out playing pranks, trick-or-treating, parking, getting high. I think you're way off on this. See? The sheriff doesn't believe him. Yeah. Loomis is uh he, Loomis says you have the wrong feeling. You're not doing much to prove me wrong. What more proof do you need? More than fancy talk to keep me crawling around in these bushes. Loomis says, I watched him for 15 years, sitting in a room, staring at a wall, not seeing the wall, looking past the wall, looking at this night, inhumanly patient, waiting for some secret silent alarm to trigger him off. Death has come to your little town, Sheriff. You can ignore it or you can help me stop it. And when do you think Loomis, like, because he said, I'm waiting for this night. So when do you think Loomis was like always on his guard about Halloween? Like I'm thinking probably like right from the beginning, every yeah. Halloween was just a miserable time for him. He probably stayed at the institution through like 24 hours. They're probably got, oh, here's Loomis just watching it. Probably yelling at everybody. Like I picture him at the vending machine and stuff. Don't you know evil's in there? Like, <laughs> like just like instead of just buy your peanut chews and watch your patient. But like I could, I could just see it. Like him just being super angry. And it's kind of like what he warned everybody about is happening now. He warns them that this is going to happen. No one believes poor Loomis. Sheriff doesn't believe him. More fancy talk. Doc, do you know what Haddonfield is? Families, children, all lined up in rows up and down these streets. You're telling me they're lined up for a slaughterhouse? Optimistic Loomis, they could be. Yeah. He sells the sheriff on it. He'll stay with Loomis for the night, just in case you're right. And then I love it. Poor Loomis, taking all the blame for everything. If you are right, damn you for letting him go. <laughs> As if Loomis unlocked the door and was like, here, be on your way. Yeah. Jack not his off. fault. Not Cop his fault. Leaves. Cop leaves Loomis and Michael's house. Linda and her man are in their car drinking beers. Linda's giving her man the rundown. They're in front of the house Annie's babysitting at. Go inside, talk for a second. Annie's going to distract Lindsay, so they think. And then we go upstairs to the first bedroom on the left. She asks if he's got it. And this absolute weirdo, I got to say, I never understood this part. Is he drunk? Is it a mistake? Does he accidentally say the wrong name? First, he goes, okay, so first I rip your clothes off, then I rip my clothes off. Then we rip Lindsay's clothes off? Yeah. Lindsay's the kid. Did he mean to say Annie? Is he trying to get that threesome going? Did he accidentally say Lindsay because he's drunk but meant to say Annie? Did he flub his line in the script and he was supposed to say Annie but accidentally said Lindsay and they were like, fuck it, we're just going to keep it? Yeah, that's a I was weird... Kind of weird. Yeah, I was. That's a weird moment. It doesn't hit you right away because you're no, just like, "Hey, what's going to go about on?" Annie until yes. I, I think we put Annie in that, and then we realize later on that he's saying Lindsay, but we yeah. put her in that situation. I, yeah, that was very bizarre. Uh, regardless, he gives Linda his version of the rundown, to which she responds with, "Totally, totally." They run into Annie's house, giggling, drunk off their ass. She tells Bob to put her down. They basically kick open the front door and notice it's pitch black inside. They scream for Annie, wonder where she is. She probably took Lindsay out for something. Linda wants to look for a note. Bob wants to bang. So immediately right there in this family's living room on their couch, who they don't know, they're going to splooge everywhere. 70s were crazy. What if Annie and Lindsay walk back in while they're banging? And what time are the, all these parents at the same Halloween party? Same party, same time, yeah. I think 
Oh man, I shouldn't even say it. If we allude to later films, maybe they're all at the same Samhain uh, gathering, right? With the cult, the cult of Thorn or whatever it is. Like maybe they're all meeting together, getting out of the way so that oh, all these kids can be killed. Throwing the kids in the way. No, that's so. That's funny. that's the party. It's their gathering and they're worshiping oh, on Halloween. No. Oh, these scumbag parents. That's yeah, terrible. They're all part of it. Yeah. <laughs> There's good, we're getting hate mail. That's our first hate mail. Because yeah. people hate that storyline. And I <laughs> and I don't, but people do hate that storyline. They hate that all of the parents were in a cult. Yeah, they hate that whole cult thing that they do later on with Yeah. You know, yeah. No, it's movies. not I think it's in that movie where they say that the guy taught Mike to uh drive. Yeah. Uh, I think I could be wrong. Uh, either way, Linda and Bob are getting it on and the creepy Carpenter Halloween music kicks in. The camera begins fading backward. We get the dramatic doom chords and we see it again, standing right outside the room they're making out in. Michael. Again, you don't see his whole body, just over his shoulder, but he's there watching, stalking. Annie is already dead in the house and they have no idea. Could you friggin' imagine? Tommy, Lindsay, and Lori are walking down the hall howling because they just carved a pumpkin. Tommy is trying to scare Lindsay. He's going to get you. But Lori puts a stop to it. She looks out the window and sees Bob's car in front of Annie's place. Everybody's having a good time tonight. Poor girl. She goes back to the kids to watch the rest of the movie. And the second she sits her ass on the couch, the phone rings. Lori gets back up and it's Linda asking where Annie is. Lori thought she'd be home by now. She went to pick up Paul. Well, she's totally not here. Lori seems a little worried, but not too concerned. She tells Linda that Lindsay's with her. She wants to know what time to put her to bed. Linda is stoked. She tells Bob the kid is gone for the night. Now they can bang in the stranger's house all they want and get splooge everywhere like Ephraim Winslow in the lighthouse. <laughs> Looking out the window, Lori sees all the lights turn off in Annie's house. Lori looks out the window, probably wishing she was up to no good as well out there banging in strangers' houses. Cut back to Bob and Linda. They're trying to bang, but the phone keeps ringing. So Bob takes it off the receiver. So now it can't ring. So now they can bang in the stranger's house. And imagine they're doing it in a bed. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was going to say, imagine this is your house. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But also, I there's these a, kids with my bare hands. There's also a jack o' lantern on the nightstand that's lit up. Like, was it, was that a, they, there was just a candle burning in that jack. Like, did they set that up? Did it exist already? Like, who puts that? After you carve a pumpkin, it gets stinky and gross. And they just have it on their, they put it on their nightstand and then went to, went out to this. Oh, that adds to my theory. They knew all this was going to happen and they left the jack-o'-lantern there. Oh my God. Yeah. Maybe that's, that's like his beacon. Maybe that's what yeah. summons him. Wow. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> we just our own minds. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> uh, so they're banging. Again, we get hit with that classic Halloween doom tone. And on the wall, we see the shadow, the silhouette of Michael walk by as they're banging. We hear Bob breathing heavy, Linda breathing heavy, and Michael under his mask breathing heavy. They're done banging, to which Linda says, totally. Mm. She lights her and Bob cigarettes, asks if he wants a beer. Yeah. Is that all you can say? Yeah. She's like, get me a beer. I thought you were going to get me one. Yeah. This dude breaks the horror rules. Even if, you, if you've ever seen Scream before, you know the horror rules. 
He says, I'll be right back. Bom, bom, bom. <laughs> he leaves the bed. And he goes down. Yep, go ahead. I was going to say, in these movie, this movie is one of the movies that wrote these horror rules. They are watching in Scream this movie when he's talking about the horror rules. Yeah, yeah. And particularly that part where he says, I'll be right back. He leaves the bed. He goes downstairs. He's in the kitchen. He grabs the beers. The door behind him in the kitchen slowly opens. He goes over, calls for Annie and Paul. No response. Closes the door, opens a pantry door behind him. Linda, you asshole. Nobody there. Turns around. Another closet door behind him. Okay, Linda, come out. We hear the breathing. Bob opens the door, and before it fully opens, Michael comes crashing out of the closet, choking Bob. We get a shot of Michael's face up close, but still covered in darkness. So still very hard to make out, but we are looking right at him closer than we have this entire movie. He's breathing heavy. He's lifting Bob, displaying almost superhuman strength. He raises his other hand, carrying the large kitchen knife and plunges it into Bob's gut. He lets go of Bob, but he doesn't move. His feet don't hit the floor because Michael has stuck him to the wall with the knife. Then the and music that's... stops. This is where he shows his first like, superhuman abilities to hold him up. And then obviously, like, there's those cabinets or whatever it is, and he plunges the knife into that wood. And that would have to be really far to hold somebody up off the ground. Um, so I think we see the beginning sort of stages of he's kind of more. There's a hotly debated issue with Michael, whether he's kind of more than human. The music stops, there's dead silence, and again, without a doubt, one of the creepiest, most iconic, horrifying, disturbing movie shots in history. Still gets me till this day. In complete silence, we see Michael staring at Bob, pinned to the wall, knife sticking out of his stomach, and Michael's there, two feet in front of him, admiring his work. He's looking at Bob, he's tilting his head left, tilting it right, then back to the left, then back to the right, as if he's like an alien, as if he's like never seen a human before. Like he's right. looking at Bob like he's an animal. If he doesn't doesn't know what he's looking at, he's curious, he's confused, but like satisfied. But he seems and they famously learning. said they famously said that this was kind of like uh, would be like a dog, how a dog would tilt its head sideways and back and forth when there's a real weird sound or some or something going on. Um, but yeah, it's often duplicated in other films, but this is when it happened. So creepy. We cut to Linda in this stranger's bed that her and Bob just splooged and smoked cigarettes in. And now she's filing her nails. <laughs> Where'd the nail file come from? Is that imagine, their nail file? Yeah, probably. Probably. Imagine being the homeowner, coming home, finding these strangers splooging and smoking and filing their nails in your bed. I'm on Michael's side. Kill all of them. Get all of them out of my house and kill them all. <laughs> she's naked in bed, filing her nails. The door in front of her slowly creaks open. And again, in one of the most iconic shots in horror history, a lot to dissect here. They're standing in the doorway, covered in a white bed sheet with Bob's glasses on his head and little holes in the eyes. Michael Myers. Mm -hmm. it's this homicidal maniac, mental institution escapee, got a few bodies under his belt, but he still wants to have some fun. Yeah, and, and, and also... <laughs> He he cuts some holes in the sheet, right? So he takes out Bob, and then he gets a pair of scissors, presumably because they're they're well cut. It's like he ripped it, 
and then takes Bob's glasses and puts them on. He also looks, he does look a little shorter than he kind of seems in the rest of the movie in this scene. But like, this is, this is where Michael is getting fully getting into the, it's a game for him. It's a game. He knows he's going to win because he's, he's in control of all of it. Um, but yeah, if you're if you're listening to us and you have a drinking game, every time we say iconic, oh, you'd be dead. In this episode, you you know, take a take a drink. It's so crazy because it's shot after shot after shot of like best shot in history, best shot in history, best shot. So well done, so well done. And Carpenter's like, yeah, I was just doing whatever. Yeah. Instead of charging into the room, instead of murdering Linda, he has gone this whole extra step for this element of surprise to have a good time, to fool around him just having fun, a little humor to his horror. The one little shining bit of light left in him, a bit of his childhood relived here, possibly. We never see another action like this from him in any other Halloween movie, as far as I can remember. Well, he gets playful in some of the new ones. He does some staging, too. So there he is, standing in the doorway staring at linda she thinks it's bob we the audience know she is doomed she's asking for her beer she sees him standing there and laughs at him under the sheet we can hear michael breathing heavily she pulls the sheet down and shows off some boobs ask if he sees anything he likes michael just stands there breathing after a bit, she gets annoyed. She wants her beer, but Michael doesn't move. She thinks it's Bob being annoying, so she hops out of bed to call Lori to see where Paul and Annie are. With her back to him, slowly, Michael, covered in this bedsheet, begins creepily lumbering towards Linda. At the exact same moment, yet another iconic Har- Carpenter Halloween theme begins playing. The phone rings at Lori's. She picks it up, says hello, and at that moment... Michael, still dressed as a ghost, grabs the phone cord, wraps it around Linda's throat, and chokes her to death. On the other line, Lori thinks it's Annie playing around, but then gets worried, but still thinks she's fooling around. Linda's struggling. She pulls the sheet off Michael. On the other line, Lori says, I'll kill you if this is a joke. (laughs) But she's too late. The deed is done. And after all this time, we see him. Clear as day, Michael Myers, the shape, evil personified, the classic Shatner mask painted white right in front of the camera. Lori's on the other line yelling annoyed at who she thinks was Annie. Michael creepily picks up the phone and sits there listening to Lori. Mm -hmm. She hangs up the phone and walks over to the window to look across the street. The lights in the house turn on and turn off, which is very weird and creepy. I always found that super disturbing. Yeah, yeah, strange too. It's like almost like a call for help, but from who? Yeah. Lori calls back, but no one picks up. She heads upstairs where the kids are, looks in bed. The kid's sleeping, tells him to sleep tight. Loomis turns her. Okay. Here we go. Sorry. Loomis turns around and there's his stolen station wagon. Right behind (laughs) him. Outside of Michael Myers' house. Yeah. Found him. Yeah. However... I'm incredibly confused yeah. because Lori left her house this morning to go to school. Her dad told her to drop off the key. Uh-huh. Meyer's place is within walking distance from her house. Right. However, when Annie picks up Lori, they're driving for at least 20 minutes to a half hour until it's dark out, uh-huh. which I feel is way past where Michael lives. However, in their defense to play devil's advocate, Perhaps they were doing that 15-minute burn and, you know, 
drive around the block 40 times and, you know, park in the same spot. Then why would Annie mom lend her the car if the house is so close? She'd be like, no, you're not borrowing my car. What are you going to drive around smoking weed in it? No, you can't have my car. Um, yeah. <laughs> so either they were in the same area and just driving in circles till it got dark out or there's a big gap of something I'm missing here. Also, Loomis has been standing there for presumably a couple hours. <laughs> Didn't notice and he anything. just notices the car. The car has been parked there. It's oh, not that far away goodness. from him. He's been, you know, staked out. The kids have come up. He's had that hell moment. Bracket showed back up. All of that. And it's just like, oh, look at that. There's a car there. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I like to think that maybe Lori and Annie just drove around the block. We used to have the path and we'd take the path and the path was the perfect amount of time to smoke a blunt. So we started at one end and then ended another and then we'd be ah, so, okay. And it was all in, all in one spot. So that's what I'm thinking maybe Lori and Annie did. Who knows? I'm on the stoner side here. Lori decides she's going to go check on the girls, leaves the kids alone in the, in the house asleep, heads her ass outside over to Annie's house or where she was babysitting. Lock. She knocks on the door, rings the bell, no answer. Heads around the back, sees the kitchen door ajar. Where Michael gave the business to Bob a little bit ago. Stuck to stuck his ass to the wall with a knife. However, when Lori gets there, Bob's body is gone. The house is dark. No one's answering her. She's calling out for them. She thinks they're playing a joke. She goes in the living room and hears a thud upstairs. Uh-oh. Lori gets worried and starts yelling at Annie and Linda, who she thinks are messing with her. You'll be sorry. Just you wait, Lori. Just you wait. She slowly makes her way up the steps. All the lights in the house are off except one bedroom. Upstairs, it has a light on. Doors cracked open. Slowly, Lori heads to the room, opens the door, and there, laying on the bed, is Annie dead with the heavy Judith Myers tombstone at the top of the bed. We get hit with that classic carpenter shrieking death tone that immediately makes you jump. Lori starts freaking out, backs up into a closet, and BOM! Bob's mm. body flops down, upside down, dead, swinging back and forth. Lori screams, backs into a cabinet, and one half of the door opens, and there's Linda inside, dead. But you only see her upper half. And forever, even till this day, I always thought that, like, the cabinet Linda stuffed in inside is way too small for her whole body. And it always mm -hmm. has me thinking, like, did he rip her in half with his bare hands and, like, put her lower half somewhere else in another cabinet? I mean, it's it, it's a lot of staging. And that's he put in a lot of work in a short period of time, too. He went out. He put them up there. Then he lugged that tombstone up those steps, got it, like, perfectly center in that bed. and And this is all for Laurie. He's already identified that that that's who he's going after. I think those everyone else is just extra leading up to her. And I think he just wants to I guess completely horrify her before he kills her. I, I don't know. Maybe in his twisted ass mind he thinks like this is what Halloween's all about. Maybe something possessed him on that day when he was six years old and he was like Halloween's all about murdering people. And like instead of like setting up the house with decorations, he, he sets up his house with like human dead bodies and real tombstones. And maybe he thinks like 
this is his act of affection. Maybe may, I don't mm. know what happened to him when he was six years old, but uh, yeah, maybe whatever he's possessed by is like, this is how Halloween is supposed to be. Yeah. Lori once again screams. She runs out of the room in an absolute fit of terror. She's freaking out, doesn't know what to do, puts her back up against the wall with opening into another room directly next to her. Everything is dark. You can't see anything inside of it. And then God damn it. Once again, in one of the most iconic shots in horror history, directly over her shoulder, top right corner of the open door, uh, the doorway opens up and out of the blackness, slowly a faint light begins to show and you see the white mask, Michael's face. Comes and that's, and that's, uh, it's open, the door's open and Dean Cundy said they used a dimmer and they just kind of, the light just kind of slowly, they just kind of opened that up more and more for that for that shot to get to get that effect it's amazing and the second his face lights up it also goes yeah yeah iconic drink again slowly he comes into frame and the spine piercing carpenter halloween shriek hits just absolutely brilliant filmmaking Lori slowly walks off out of the room pops michael with a large kitchen knife and stabs Lori right down the back of her arm she screams in pain falls over the railing down the stairs the tense Carpenter Halloween theme plays again, and we see Michael lurk over to the steps. And again, in one of my favorite shots ever, from Lori's point of view at the bottom of the steps, we're looking up and we see Michael menacingly walk into frame, but we can't see a goddamn thing except his shape, his silhouette, and he's just standing there at the top of the steps looking absolutely horrifying. And how the hell did Lori not break something? Uh, she tumbled over those steps hard. Yeah, that's a far distance. If you when you watch it, she flips over and then she's traveling down a little bit. That shot, and she doesn't break anything, and he's taking his time. Uh, you know what? Add to our thorn uh, uh, thing, but like he doesn't have to worry about parents showing up because he knows they're all at this this gathering. Yeah, right? <laughs> they're all. That's gonna really man. make. That's going to really make everyone angry. I just assume they're all at a party when I first saw this and everyone's out. No one's going to show up and he doesn't care whether he gets caught. Right. That's what I thought when I first saw it. Like he doesn't. It's OK. He's just going to do this and it doesn't matter whether he gets caught or not. He doesn't give a goddamn. No. Lori makes a run for it. Michael begins coming down the steps. There's a great shot like bars on the railing and a little light coming through. So as Michael walks down the staircase, a little bit of the light. On the bright white mask, you see the shadow of the bars reflecting off his mask as he's going down the steps. Of course, every godforsaken exit in this house is conveniently locked from the inside for some reason. Mm-hmm. Lori tries leaving through the kitchen back door the same way she got in, but we see Michael has trapped her inside, leaning a rake against the outside of the door, blocking Lori from escaping. As she's struggling with the door, Michael is having problems of his own. Lori locked him out of the kitchen, and he can't open it using the knob. So after about four seconds, he smashes his entire goddamn fist through the door and begins fumbling for the lock on the other side. And also, what's the purpose of a lock on a kitchen door? It is a very oddly placed door. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've had, you know, they used to do kitchen doors a lot. They don't do them now. Everything's open floor plan. But to have a even a lock on it is a totally different different step like just to save themselves from the evil that might one day be there oh maybe sure enough he unlocks it with his hand still through the hole in the door he opens it and creeps around it just staring at laurie menacingly holding his large knife it is so scary 
Laurie has had enough of this bullshit. She puts her hand through the glass of the kitchen door, moves a rake out of the way, and narrowly escapes as Michael is approaching her. She runs outside, screaming bloody murder. Somebody help me, please! She's running around the town from door to door, screaming for help. But as you said earlier in the first part of this episode, everyone is ignoring her. The parents do not care. They're turning off their lights on their porch. They don't want to be bothered. This poor girl runs across the street back to Tommy Doyle's house. She's battered. She's injured. She's been stabbed. She fell down the steps. She's limping. She can't run that fast. She gets to the door. The keys are gone, of course. She looks back to the house she just ran out of, and walking down the side, we see him, the boogeyman, the shape, Michael. Following close behind, he's coming after her. Lori's screaming for Tommy to wake up, pounding on the door. Michael is quickly making his way across the street. The music is pumping. Lori is stuck. She's locked out, and Michael is right on her ass. She takes a flower pot and throws it at Tommy's window to wake him up. Tired, he looks out the window and sees it's Lori and slow as hell makes his way downstairs. Poor Lori is screaming and pounding on the door. Michael is inches away. <clears throat> Tommy, Tommy lazily opens the door. Lori jumps inside and screams at Tommy. Get upstairs. He's scared. <laughs> and I know why it took him so long to open the door. Because if you look at the shot, the for Lori, the doorknob is on the right-hand side. And for Tommy, Tommy, the doorknob is on the is on his right hand side her left hand side the that's so funny flipped so you know it took a long time to figure out how to open a door with two door handles yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he says he's scared he says the boogeyman and she yells do as i say he runs upstairs Lori runs to the phone off the hook of course she looks across the room to the window sees the shade blowing in the breeze the window was open michael is in the house Mm. Lori is not stoked. She's freaking out, afraid, alone in the dark living room, begging him, please stop, please. She gets on the floor by the couch, grabs one of her giant foot-long knitting needles she had earlier. We get the carpenter tone of doom. Boom! Michael pops up from behind the couch in the shadows, and his dumbass stabs but misses completely and stabs the couch cushion. And this is when Lori, as Vertebrae loves to say, has her hero's arc. <laughs> Lori turns around and jams his goddamn knitting needle right into Michael's neck. He gets up, yanks it out, and drops to the floor. Lori pulls the knife out of the couch and slowly crawls over to the other side to look at Michael. Again, another one of these iconic images of just the couch, and Lori slowly rises with the knife in her hand. And I love he gets stabbed in the neck, and he just passes out like he's at a Sanguasua Bob <laughs> <laughs> no and he's just down he just drops like right no. nobody's there to help him nobody's there to help him he just drops uh, right away see michael myers it's times like these when it's good to have a friend <laughs> she looks over she sees him laid out big bloody needle next to him she sinks back into the couch and does one of the dumbest things in movie history and it won't be the first time she takes the knife and chucks it oh Outside, Loomis is walking the block looking for Michael. Sheriff pulls up on him. Loomis tells me, found Michael. The car's three blocks down. So the girls only went three blocks, driving around in circles, smoking weed for a half hour, I guess. Yeah, and also, he's found him. 
And they still haven't notified anyone else. The state police, no, anybody. No, no reason to get anyone else involved. We just, this old man in an overcoat and a six shooter can handle it. He tells the sheriff, check the back of the houses. Loomis will watch the front. The sheriff speeds off. Loomis is walking around with his hand in his pocket, definitely holding his revolver. Lori stumbles upstairs, calls for Tommy and Lindsay. They open the door, scared. Lori hugs him. They're going to take a walk. Tommy and Lindsay ask if it's the boogeyman. They say they're scared. Don't be scared. Why? I killed him. Over her shoulder, you see a shadow creeping up the steps. And then a large figure over her. And in one of the most classic lines of all time, you can't kill the boogeyman. Hmm. Kids look over Lori's shoulder. And there's Michael standing as clear as day, horrifying as ever, very well lit, mask is glowing, large menacing figure standing inches away, and he's just pointing the knife at Lori and the kids. Horrifying. The kids scream bloody murder. Another horrifying Halloween carpenter theme begins playing. Lori pushes the kids in another room, tells them to lock the door. She goes in the bedroom, opens the door to the outside balcony, but instead of going outside, she turns around and heads for the closet. She ties either a necktie or pantyhose around the doorknob so Michael can't get in. Then we see yeah. through the little slits in the door, light shining through, and then the large shadow of Mike, the shape, his silhouette, creeps past the door. First, it seems like he's poking it with his finger. Then he grabs a knob to open it and begins shaking it wildly like a madman. He's had mm. enough playing around. He's smashing through the door with his fist, knocking pieces of the door all over Lori. She's screaming in the bottom corner of the closet. We hear Michael breathing heavy. The music is pumping, getting your adrenaline flowing. I'm flying right now. Mm -hmm. Mike's arm is flailing around inside the closet. He's pulling on the chain, turning light on and off. He's breaking more of the door down, knocking hangers all over the floor. Lori grabs a hanger and starts unwinding it again. And then in one of the most epic shots again in movie history, Michael leans his head in the closet and looks right down at Lori. He begins flailing around wildly, almost to the point of no control. He's grabbing the pull switch for the light, turning it on and off, leaning his head inside the closet, almost if he's like crazy excited or going through a lot of emotion or whatever. Mm -hmm. He reaches down towards Lori, who takes her unwound hanger and with spectacular aim, jabs Mike right in the eyeball with it. <laughs> and also, she got totally lucky because that totally, by the way, totally. Uh, that closet's like half empty. Like if you try to get it in one of the closets in my house, you're not going to have that much space to climb in there. And there's empty hangers. Like, I don't know what's going on. Maybe they just have a lot of closet space in the house. She got lucky. He grabs his face and drops his large knife inside the closet. She picks it up. And again, as vertebrae likes to say, has her hero's arc. She takes the knife and plunges it right into Michael's gut. He falls to the floor like me at a Sanguisugabog show. And now he's blocking Lori's exit. She has to creep out of the closet and step over his body. And you're just waiting for him to grab her, but he doesn't. And again, for the second time, Lori takes the knife and chucks it far away. God damn it, Lori. She hobbles out of the room, gets the kids, tell them to go downstairs. Out the front door, go over to the McKenzie's, call the police. Not like the McKenzie's will give a shit. And why doesn't, why doesn't she just leave with them? Um, she she's gonna wait for the authorities to get there like loomis <laughs> so i don't know just run outside onto the street at least yeah, I, yeah. I don't know like why stay that she gives him a little speech and she decides 
I'm gonna she probably sit. thinks she significantly like killed him. Like he's. I'm gonna sit here him. and rest. Also, like when she came out of the closet, I feel like I would have just stabbed that guy multiple times. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's easy for us to say because we're seeing it now through the eyes of having seen these movies. If you're in the middle of this traumatic situation, maybe you deal with it differently. But I'm definitely not sitting like 15 feet away from him. Just chilling. Yeah, no way. She tells Nicole, police send him over. The kids run out of the house screaming. Lori rests for a minute. Leaning her head against the doorframe while she's there, we see Michael Myers still in the background. And like a machine, like Terminator, he sits straight up, not moving his body, only his head. Looks directly over at Lori again. Another classic Carpenter theme begins playing. And that's this is a beautiful shot. This is a beautiful shot, the way it's framed and everything and him sitting up and another drink again because another iconic moment in this film. The kids run out of the house screaming. Loomis sees him. He heads over to the house. Lori slowly gets up, following close behind. Michael arises as well, right behind her. He begins slowly, horrifyingly lumbering towards her. We get a very clear lit shot of the mask. Just disturbing looking. Lori begins walking out to the hall, but then gets attacked. Michael grabs Lori by the throat and begins choking her. And then she rips his mask off. Mm. Oh, my God, the shape. He has a face, the face of a man. We see it for a brief second. Yeah, not disfigured. Not disfigured at all. Just the eye is messed up from the coat hanger. But other than that, it's just a normal person's face. For a brief second, he gets shoved back into a shadow and the mask comes off. When he moves forward to put the mask on, we get this clear face very creepy looking dude with one eye blown out because of the hanger like vertebrae said and mm-hmm. i remember the first time watching this being like oh my god they showed his face like no way i thought that was an awesome move uh, you know he's human or at least as human as someone like that could be he's not a robot he's not a ghoul he's right it's crazy incarnate. that's not nick castle either that's somebody else like it got somebody else that that's for that scene which is they should so have just what- used Nick Castle, gnarly bit. I mean, I'm. I don't know if you have, but I. I heard like eight people played Michael Myers in this movie. Yeah, I think at one point Deborah Hill was in the mask, and uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but Nick Castle is the one who gets all the cred, right? Uh, but he did fucking awesome. Uh, Loomis gets to the top of the steps as Michael is putting the mask back on his face, and pop shoots him. Michael falls back to the next room. Lori is on the floor crying. What a hell of a night she's having. Loomis runs over to the room, and there's Michael standing, breathing heavily, back in the shadows. All we see is the shape. Loomis pops another five shots in him. He stumbles backwards and falls off the second story out onto the floor. However, something that's always bothered me is that there is a railing clearly behind Michael. But when he backs up off the balcony, it's like there's no railing there, and he just falls. So instead of falling over it like Laurie did with the steps... Michael uh-huh. kind of just falls backwards. And I'm like, that's not how that was set up. And I can see it. <laughs> Let me see the shot of his body laying in the grass, seemingly dead. Camera cuts yeah. back to Loomis. He's still there pulling the trigger. He's got to kill evil. It's clicking. He's out of bullets. He cannot let evil get the upper hand. Lori is crying on the floor, looks at Loomis and says, it was the boogeyman. Loomis looks back and replies, as a matter of fact, it was 
Perhaps you're thinking, oh, thank God, happy ending. They got the bad guy. Whew, at least that's done. What a splendid night. Let's go eat candy. Loomis walks his ass over to the balcony, looks over, and he's gone. Michael is gone. The classic Halloween theme kicks in. Oh, my God, are you for real? Is this movie about to end? The bad guy gets away, no resolution. Does he win? Is this one of my favorite movie endings ever as a young teenager? Absolutely. <laughs> and you know what's awesome is Carpenter says that he asked Donald Pleasant's how he wanted to play it. Did he want to play it that he was shocked or did he want to play it how he does and what they use in the movie? Or he's like, of course he's gone. Of course. And that's, and that's how he played it. But yeah, this, this movie influenced everything after it, um, including other films, obviously in the franchise, but you know, just an, an amazing film. Is this your favorite horror movie, Sean? It's either this or the thing. It's either this right, or the thing. Right. Uh, but Michael's body is gone. Loomis is staring down. Laurie can tell something is wrong. She begins crying. Michael is free to kill again. Loomis looks to the sky like, damn you. Damn you, Michael. Then we get the shots of all the locations the movie took place in. Upstairs in the hallway. The living room. The house Annie was babysitting at. As all these images are flashing by, we hear the breathing. The heavy breathing. Michael, he's still alive. Still on the move. We get a shot of the house Laurie was at. The house Annie was at, and finally Michael's house. Mm -hmm. Cut to black. Halloween. The end. Amazing. Chills. Hey. I have chills right now. Right now. Even as hey. I'm typing, I, 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 even as, as I was watching this, I have chills. Chills. You, you know, it's crazy. When they show the shots at the end, they show the house that Laurie was at, and the knife is on the ground by the couch. It's on the floor by the couch. Oh, it's not upstairs. No, it's just like Whoops. sitting there. But I feel like those are supposed to be more like still shots of like yeah. memories of what yeah. what had happened and not like practical shots. Like again, like in the beginning, it's almost like they're paintings, they're snapshots of of what took place. Um, I love it. No answer, no resolution, no closure, no mystery solved. I remember my first time watching it, wishing that they had never made a sequel, just like the thing, kind of just leaving it open, like, oh my God, this killer right. is on the loose. But then uh, I wish they had just left it at the cliffhanger. But I do remember um, some of the other Halloween movies as well, which I'm sure we'll review. But I remember watching this the first time, and the feeling I got at the end wasn't ruined by Twitter. Uh, it didn't exist. I remember watching it on TV first, I think, and then purchasing the VHS. But I remember I used to have this little Sony recorder that I would walk around with recording just random things. It was like hmm. my, uh, my way of downloading music before downloading music. If I couldn't find a song or an album or whatever and didn't have the money for it, I would just hit record on the recorder, put it up to the TV speaker and have that just so I can listen to it on my Walkman or whatever. Uh, and I remember till this day, I remember it had to be around Christmas because I remember the glare of the Christmas lights in the tree on the television while I was watching ha uh, Halloween and I was had my little recorder up to the speaker when mm -hmm. the theme kicked in and I made the Halloween theme before I ended up purchasing it on CD as part of like my my mixtapes. Uh, oh, nice. So, yeah. So like. It's so much of my life. Uh, this movie has been in such a huge part of my life. Uh, it is, if it's not the best, it's it's the second best. Like I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, and a couple. And of that's, things Halloween. Just, that's Halloween. That's Halloween. That's Halloween. Yeah. But wait, there's more. Well, I just want to. You know, I always, 
a few things I promised I would talk about at the end of this. Um, so I did watch the trailer. Um, and the trailer shows the start of the film with his viewpoint. Um, it shows inside the view from inside the clown mask. We hear Loomis's speech. We see the institution break out. We see Bob's ghost. We see Judith Myers' headstone. Michael emerging from the darkness behind Laurie. Laura getting slashed, falling down the steps, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's so many of these. I'm going to post a trailer on our socials. Given away in the whole trailer. Um, and then also there's, so there, it's really interesting. There's a, have you heard about the TV version of this? So they just announced, they recently announced it. Yes. No, that not that. The original, oh, the TV the, version of the original. Yes. No. So in 1980, they sold the rights to NBC for $3 million and standards and practices were trying to figure out because they had to censor some scenes. So that's where they get the mask with the smaller eye holes. Um, but they also had to fill a, fill a two hour time slot. So they filmed 12 minutes of additional material because they were in production for Halloween 2. Right? So the, the newly hit film scenes include Loomis at a hospital board review of Michael Myers. And he's essentially telling them like he's evil and you can't let him out and he can't be are safe. Are people sleeping here. while he, are people like, like playing, like picking their nose? It's a really weird scene because there's two guys in a room with uh, like these tables, like almost like a lecture room at a college. And he's sitting far back from them. And there's a couple points where it's really quiet and none of them are saying anything to each other. They don't care. Um, so he does that and then right after that scene he goes to Michael's room and Michael's sitting catatonic in a chair and he tells him you fooled them haven't you Michael but not me Um, and then later he another extra scene is after Michael breaks out they go to the cell and his cell his room and it's all destroyed and the nurse wants to show him something and scratched in on the back of his door is the word sister. Oh yeah. I see that. Yeah. Right. Which, which could mean a, a couple things, obviously. Um, and there's a scene where Linda comes over to Laurie's house um, and to borrow some blouse or something. And it's funny because they filmed it then, but Laurie had to have a, Jamie Lee Curtis had to have a towel on her head because she had like a different haircut at that time. And, and so they, they, <laughs> They put this towel on her head and filmed the scene. Um, but what's I found really interesting is in this meeting with these doctors, they read a bunch of info, and the guy says, Well, he calls him Michael Audrey Myers. So we get his middle name, and he says that he'll be brought to the court on the date of his 21st birthday to be tried as an adult. Now if you look online, it says it's October 19th, people say is like Michael's birthday. But they say there, on the date of his 21st birthday, he needs to be brought in front of the court. And they're picking him up on the day before, day before Halloween. Yeah. Halloween. So he would have brought to the court on Halloween. So is Halloween Michael's birthday. actual birthday? Mm. Right? Which also adds to this anger that he would have for halloween not getting the attention he wants his sister with this boy right yeah there's there's like a lot of it um it's just crazy it's just that's a crazy part to it um and then the other thing was we talked early on in part one about the novelization of this right 
so there's this novelization that was done by Curtis Richards. And recently, and we mentioned it on a 0.5 episode, they're going to reprint this novelization. Printed in Blood is going to do a tremendous job of reprinting this with some really cool artwork. Um, and we talked about it. Go back and listen to it. Um, but that novelization has a connection to evil roots um, that are explored further from Michael. So I'm just going to read this passage to you because I find Hell this yeah. really, really interesting. Um, it says, the horror started on Eve of, and we know it's, we, we all say Sam Hain, but it's Samhain, right? It's supposed to be pronounced Samhain. Okay. In a, fo- in a foggy veil in Northern Ireland at the dawn of the uh, Celtic race. So we're talking like 500 to 1500 BC or something. And once started, it trod the earth forevermore wreaking its savagery suddenly, swiftly, and with incredible ferocity. Why was I going to say ferocity? You got it. You got it. Ferocity. There's lots of furry sort of (laughs) ferocity. Then its lust sated. It shrank back into the mists of time for a year, a decade, a generation perhaps, but it slept only and did not die, for it could not be killed. And on the eve of Samhain, it would stir, and if the lust were powerful enough, it would rise to fulfill the curse invoked so many Samhains before. Then the people would bolt their doors. Deep. So in this novelization, Loomis knows this history of evil, knows that it runs through the Myers bloodline. Mm. So even more of his pleading and his nobody's going to listen to me, how is he supposed to tell people, hey, you know, this this evil's been around, you know what I mean? It's, it's 1500 BC. No one cares, um, Loomis. And what's crazy is, so there's a bunch of changes in the novelization. And, and there's a grandmother in there who's very similar to the Mrs. Blankenship character in Curse of Michael Myers. So when we get to that, we can kind of talk about that a little bit. There was some dialogue that was actually used in the uh, Halloween 2 script. Um, but what's crazy is in that Taking Shape book, uh, Curtis says that um, he saw Halloween in the theater and he took extensive notes and he wasn't given a script of the movie, which is just insane. Usually with the novelization, you're given a script. And he felt there were a lot of plot holes. So he filled a lot of plot holes, including how Michael learned how to drive and, and other things like that. But um, insane. So very early on, do we get this cult of thorn, this thorn type thing, the Samhain type thing um, in this novelization? Totally not John Carpenter's intention at all. But nerds like me are going to dig into this. And and I think that after I get this book and I read it, we should probably try to do an episode on this. Point five. Um, add, add it to a point five or something. Point seven five. Point, point nine nine. It could be like a point three three. <laughs> We have the worst numbering system in all podcast history. And I think that's something that we should be proud of. Yeah. And do you think one last question for you? Yeah, go ahead. Carpenter obviously intended this to be a killer with no connection, a killer who it's scarier when you're not sure the motive, right? It's scarier when, Oh, you're afraid of him. Now let's see him as a little kid dare I say it's scarier when we don't see that he's just from this awful family, like in the Rob zombie versions of these movies. Um, 
do you like the idea of it having some sort of like occult type backstory or do you enjoy it more as now it's that's a twofold question one do you like it better for one film and if they've got to make more they have to flesh out something yeah i mean i the fact that he was superhuman and couldn't die but also human made me think that there had to just there's something more to him like maybe he's possessed or whatever uh the cult thing didn't really i didn't think about that until they actually did it in the movies and i don't know if i loved it in the movies just because of the way they laid it out but i definitely i dig the fact that he's superhuman but also human but not like a freddy or not like a jason uh the cult connection i don't know I don't know. I'd rather it just be, you know, whatever. If I don't mind that your theory about the parents all going to a cult party and, and, you know, chanting for him or whatever the hell they do is to come kill their kids or whatever they do. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I just like him doing it on his own and not having to be controlled by some cult. And to be clear, there was no intention to make another movie, right? Carpenter's just making this movie. And ending it, yeah. And ending it, and ending it with that little, oh, he's gone. But his intention of ending it where, like, he's not on the ground anymore wasn't, we're going to, now they do it because, oh, we're going to have a sequel. We know that already. That's a horror movie trope. Like, oh, the hand's going to come out of the ground or something's going to move or or jump up and scare us. And we know that person's still alive. We hear the breathing, whatever it is. His intention was to scare us to say that the boogeyman is real and it's always around. And he's out it's there. Old, and he's out there in some shape, dare I say, mm. or form. And it's always watching you so because we get all these first person views from michael in the beginning when he's a kid and we get it from laurie later on and he just creeped up right there on my screen and scared the heck out of me (laughs) you know what's funny is i wasn't looking at this i was like looking over and then i look over and it's coming up but i i definitely play with my toys if you have to do more of these movies you have to flesh something out or at least in the 90s and the 2000s when they were doing the sequels they felt the need to flesh it out it's going to be really interesting when we get to a tv series Mm. do we explain that or do we just give us a little bit of it because i feel like they're going to handle this depending on whose hands it is you can handle it in a way where we get a little bit of some sort of backstory because you can't have a tv series where he just runs around and Kills, kills people, people for every episode yeah. yeah yeah so there has to be other character driven stuff but uh, th- these performances in this movie this cinematography this soundtrack this influence on other films is you know for me it's probably the same thing it, it it's weird i consider the thing to be more science fiction than horror mm-hmm. and and i and you know i consider Star Wars to be more like sci-fi fantasy type stuff. So I, I safely can put the, those three film franchises in separate categories. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a movie I watch. I mean, I watch it every year. Um, I watch the documentaries. There's a bunch of them on it. Um, we, I don't know if we'll get to all the movies on here. We might. And then I think if we do, we're certainly going to hit a few episodes where we hit some controversy. 
and maybe some anger. You and I have once had a long text oh, exchange yeah. about, That's, about. It was like that was planted the seed for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it turns out I didn't even hurt, hate it as much as I hated the last movie. Yeah, I think our 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 it wasn't even text, which is the we I know we have to end this episode, but that was the weird thing is that we were having an we both have each other's phone numbers, but we're having an Instagram. Yeah, and it happens message. a lot. I'll fucking I'll have me having an Instagram conversation and then just text somebody and be like, stop, stop Instagram. Te- just text me like a normal person. Yeah. But yeah, our love of this movie is is the reason we did this podcast in the first place. It was just us to get together. Hey, I did this poster. Let's talk about it. And that's where the germ of the idea for this came from. And so we owe a lot. Everyone owes a lot to John Carpenter. Everyone owes a lot to everyone that worked on that movie because it sounds like everybody did everything on that movie. Um, And it's absolutely an amazing film. I know we're going to touch on it again. Um, go out and, and buy that Taking Shape book. It's really interesting. It gets you a lot of gnarly bits in there. Um, and when we get to the point five, we can talk about this a little bit further. But I appreciate everyone taking the, the ride with us. This has been have fun. We done fun. It? Have we done Halloween justice <sighs> I think on we Halloween? Have. Yeah, I feel like we're going to have to do like, I, I don't know what we do next, but it's, and I'm glad we waited for this well obviously yeah. we waited till around halloween but yeah. we've done horror movies at other points because i think we got into a rhythm and and could do this together and do it justice even though i feel like we could probably do four more episodes on us and there will be more news about. in the point five we will have more questions answered in the point five episode yeah and i think when we get to a tv series maybe we got to really seriously consider trying to do some episodes where we talk about the tv series let's do it it'd be a lot easier on my note taking that's for shit sure you know we just follow along and watch one episode and then talk about it you know i texted you that i had 47 pages of notes for halloween it was kind of freaking me the hell out did you get in all i'm gonna ask you did you get in all your gnarly bits yeah any gnarly bit that i had some of them i didn't even bother saying because you uh you had them already and i I was i was Mm -hmm. happy that we had uh pretty much all of our gnarly bits in in place where they need to be uh, this was an awesome episode. I think we did great. I'm very happy with our Halloween special. And uh, I'm very happy that we trick-or-treated the In Madness family. And instead of making them wait a week, dropped it on Halloween. If you're listening after, it's not as special, I guess. But I think it's very cool that we get to play these little games with our audience. But uh, we're, So that means next Monday there probably won't be a new episode. But you have uh, two full weeks to digest the what is up to four hours of us talking about this movie and all the little mm-hmm. gnarly bits there within. And there will be more. I'm sure there's going to be emails at in madness pod at gmail.com or in madness pod at gmail.com. And we are at in madness pod on all of the socials, Twitter, Instagram threads, Facebook. We have the in madness playlist on Spotify with all of these iconic horror halloween john carpenter themes i can't wait to add more carpenter themes once we hit escape from new york once we hit the thing all these amazing songs i will be adding to the playlist 
Um, we're going to be doing our 0.5 episode. It'll be a little while from now. And then we'll highlight our next movie after that. I'm hoping we have a special guest for that episode. At least that's the plan. But let us know what you thought about it on the socials. Let us know your first time ever seeing this movie. Your milking of the alpacas moment has some of these uh, quotes and some of these things made you feel. Were you laughing at poor Loomis? Were you rooting for Michael? Were you rooting for Lori? Did you expect anything to happen the way it did? We want to hear all about it on the socials. And uh, hell yeah, Halloween on Halloween. That's how In Madness Pod gets down. We haven't even hit the one-year anniversary yet. Wait till that shit hits the fan. That's going to be crazy. Awesome. Thank you very much, everybody. Happy Halloween to everybody. And have a good one. And um, we'll see you next time.